Welcome back to the Goal Set Mindset Podcast. On today's episode, I'm joined by Jeff Moore to discuss fitness-forward physical therapy and how he is working to change our healthcare landscape. Jeff is the CEO of the Institute of Clinical Excellence, a continuing education company that is creating excellence in physical therapy through a fitness-forward lens. Jeff and I dive into combating vulnerability with fitness, how lifestyle factors influence musculoskeletal function, and ultimately, how we can make a real difference in our population's health and well-being. We talk about why fitness is the solution to so many of our problems, and how anybody can reap its rewards. Jeff is the kind of guy that's passion can be felt through your speakers, and this one left me as excited as ever. Enjoy my conversation with Jeff Moore. Welcome back to the podcast, everybody. Joined today by Dr. Jeff Moore. Thank you so much for being here. Yeah, thanks for having me. Of course. I'm super pumped to dive into things with you today. You're one of my favorite people to listen to on podcasts. One of the people who actually inspired me to create a podcast of my own. So this is definitely a kind of a full circle moment for me having you on the show. Wonderful. Well, honored to be here. Cool, cool. So why don't we start, Jeff, if you can just kind of tell the listeners a little bit about yourself and what you do. Um, sure. Yeah. So primarily I serve in the CEO role at the Institute of Clinical Excellence, um, kind of running that ship on a day-to-day basis. We've got awful lot of courses now live and online. So lots of logistics stuff and just lots of sort of, you know, helping everybody um, progress in their individual divisions um, and just mentoring folks. And that's where I spend a good chunk of my time. Um, I am full-time faculty for South College as well. So I teach the MSK curriculum um, out of Knoxville, Tennessee. It's a flipped classroom model, Julie. So I do a lot of teaching right here from Colorado. And then we fly to Knoxville every few months and do all the hands-on stuff. So that's another really exciting component of my life. And then I'm a partner in a group of clinics called Onward Physical Therapy. So we have 18 clinics around the country right now. And a lot of that is kind of a byproduct of the first two. So with South College and then ICE, we've developed a lot of great clinicians who want to practice in kind of a fitness forward manner. And so we've now developed a a series of clinics that perfectly caters to that kind of practice model. And we're scaling that around the country. So those are really the primary areas where I spend most of my professional time. Yeah, that's awesome. And that's one of the things that, you know, I'm really drawn to Jeff is the fact that you are involved uh, in a leadership position, honestly, in all of these different facets. And it's really cool how you're able to connect the education side of things, you know, um, from a continuing education perspective, but also like working with students while in PT school. And it's funny because when I stumbled upon uh, the PT on Ice Daily Show, it was a few years ago, I hadn't started physical therapy school yet. And uh, I hadn't really started listening to podcasts yet, but found ICE. And you actually had done an episode about South College and about um, some research that you did or surveying you did about how your students were performing on clinicals. But I vividly remember I was on a walk and I was listening to this and I'm like, that program sounds so freaking cool. And this is like pre-COVID. This is like 2018, 2019. And um, I was about to start physical therapy school at the University of Scranton, but I was just in awe of it. And Fast forward to now being connected with you and other faculty there and uh, students who are in the program and who have gone through. It's such a cool way that you guys are able to, you know, take advantage of the online space, but also get really good hands on training. 
Yeah, yeah, for sure. I was every bit as excited, Julie, um, when, when I heard John Childs first talk about it, because this was going way back now. You know, we started in 2015. This was years before that. But I remember we were taking students and we were t- we were trying to hire new grads and they were telling me some of the numbers of where their debt was and where. And I was remember my mind thinking this is not going to work. Like if we don't solve this problem, if we don't find a way to expedite physical therapy school and get folks out faster and get them working, get them earning a salary, we're in real trouble here as a profession. And when I heard John talking about how this can be done in two years, we can literally go from three years to two years and get these kids out and working in a full-time salary. I said, John, we got to figure this. I want to be a part of this. And then as we explored it further and talked about flip classroom, how they wouldn't have to move there and rent a space there and and they could stay wherever they currently are. And I was like, this is, you know, in in your career, you want to be a small part of solving big problems. And when I heard John talking about this, I said, you get me on that roster somehow. Um, And and I'm really, really thankful for his leadership and, and been proud to be a part of the program. That's super cool. And it must be amazing. I mean, looking now at how everything is available virtual. Um, one of the advantages I'm sure you guys had is like, you already had this whole thing figured out when, you know, the pandemic happened and um, that's really cool. So, I mean, it's clear that you're somebody who likes to be a visionary in whatever it is that you're doing. And one of the biggest things about um, Onward and just about the message that, you know, you embody at ICE is um, this concept of fitness forward physical therapy. You mentioned it already, and it's something that definitely makes my ears perk up. So I would love if you can just kind of dive into what is fitness forward physical therapy? Yeah, I mean, it is what it sounds like, right? So it's physical therapy that is provided with you know this kind of obsession of elevating fitness at every single touch point julie and that's true no matter where the patient is kind of encountering you on their journey like if somebody is actively injured we are absolutely focused on not letting their strength or cardiorespiratory fitness dip because of their injury right that's kind of where we think a lot of the poetry of what we do as physical therapists exists is like we are going to train around this i don't know how yet but we are going to figure out things that you can do stimuli that we can administer to you you we are going to hold the line with you like i know you're actively injured somewhere but you're not actively injured everywhere and you are not going to lose fitness as long as we can come alongside you so like during active injury while we're putting that fire out that's a big part of the focus and then on the other end when somebody's feeling good, right? It's about getting them to start dreaming about building capacity that they long since maybe thought was not a possibility anymore, right? And like eradicating this idea of vulnerability. So we always talk to our patients about, you know, how fit are you going to let us get you? Like, how far can we go, Diane? Like, I know you want to get back to being able to go on that walk, but have you reconsidered that 5K? Have you thought it, get them really dreaming about, tell me the things you, you have told yourself or others have told you that you can no longer do and give us a chance to this prove that, right? And let's build enough capacity that not only do you have to, can can you now stop saying no to things, but while you do them, you don't get hurt, right? Because the more capacity we have, the more resilience we have, let's turn these people into weapons. And and, and that's kind of the other side of it. Yeah. Wow. So powerful. And something that makes me so excited to enter into physical therapy and taking on this concept that that's really what we're there for. And I love that you mentioned that this concept applies to anybody in any point of their journey, 
when we think fitness, a lot of people are probably picturing a very fit individual, somebody who does CrossFit or somebody who, you know, runs marathons. And that's definitely one definition of fitness, but you can have people in your clinic who haven't participated in structured physical activity exercise in like years. And that person can still experience these benefits. And from a personal standpoint, this is something that is like near and dear to my journey already, because um, one of my clinical rotations, I saw probably like 85% Medicare on my caseload. And when I started the rotation, my CI was very straight up with me saying, we don't really do exercise here. And my Mm -hmm. ego was like totally knocked down. I was like, what? These people need exercise. But I said, okay. And like, you know, going through things gradually and eventually introducing these concepts. And by the end of my 10 week clinical, I was doing, you know, some circuit style exercise prescription with them and getting these people, getting their heart rates up. And it got to the point where I was obviously doing it safely. I was doing the exercises that my CI was comfortable with, but programming them in a fashion where fitness was an aspect of it. And the look on these people's faces when they're like, wow, I, I haven't done push-ups in years or like I, maybe I can go back to orange theory at some point, like those conversations, like you mentioned, Jeff are so powerful and can just, it can be applied to anybody. And I think that's one of the most difficult things is like, people are so intimidated by a, the idea of a fitness forward type of scenario or, oh, when I go to physical therapy, I don't want to get my ass kicked kind of thing. Um, so I love to just ask you, like, how do you obtain buy-in or what strategies do you use with a client who may be a little bit nervous or reluctant to kind of dive headfirst into the fitness thing? That's a great question. And I'll totally answer that. But before I do, I just want to underscore something you said, because it's so critical. And this is probably the biggest misconception, right? We tend to say that these other people can still benefit, right? We're talking about older adults, deconditioned folks who have fragility. We're talking about postpartum patients. We're talking about chronic pain patients. That's the wrong terminology. It's not just that they can still benefit, they benefit more, right? That's the exciting population. Like, don't get me wrong. It's always fun to work with athletes. It's always fun to work with folks who are already fit. I mean, like dissolves like, it's always a hoot in the clinic. But the magic, Julie, I mean, the the moments we live for are all in the other populations, right? It's Gertrude, right? Who who hasn't picked something up that's more than 10 pounds in 10 years. And you get her lifting up that heavy kettlebell. It's somebody postpartum who feels like their exercise journey is over that you reignite the passion. It's the chronic pain patient, right? Who's centrally sensitized, who you change their entire landscape and ecosystem around their pain experience. And all of a sudden they become an athlete again. It's not just, it's still available. That's where the magic is. And that's where the most exciting research is. When you look at older adults and the lymph more trial and osteoporosis, and we can go on and on. Don't get me started on, on the postpartum space. Like that's where, that's where we're realizing, oh my gosh, this is where it's at. And that's what's so cool with ICE has been watching all the divisions like MMOA with older adults, like pregnancy and postpartum, like the chronic pain. It's when you bring fitness to those spaces, that's when things go from zero to 80. And you have these unbelievably emotional moments with humans who thought for sure their life was no longer had that kind of capacity. So I just want to be really clear. It's not just that fitness forward is still applicable to them. It is where all the magic lives. So that being said, um, how do you get folks to buy in? So you do it the same way you do it with the other stuff, right? So we always talk about like built, like 
like with manual therapy, very easy to get folks to buy in because they come in with a sore shoulder. You do a little bit of manual therapy work on their shoulder. You have them lift their arm back up and they say, you know what, doc, that feels quite a bit better. Well, that's a really easy moment to say, well, then spend a few weeks with me. We're going to build on that. We're going in the right direction, yada, yada, yada. The same should be done. And by the way, is more powerful with exercise. If somebody comes in and they can't rotate their trunk to the right because their rib is bothering them or something's going on in their low back, get them on an erg that they're comfortable with. I don't care if it's a rower. I don't care if it's a bike. I don't care if it's a skier. Now, the key is you got to have that equipment, right? So kind of back to the fitness forward difference, but have those things available. If you get them rocking some intervals, Julie, and you get them working hard for 12 minutes, and you say, when they get, first of all, they're going to look at you and say, Doc, you almost killed me, right? They're going to stand up and say, I, I, I'm struggling. But John, turn to the right. And John will turn his body to the right. When you unlock that internal medicine cabinet through high intensity exercise, homeboy is going to turn a lot further, right? And he's going to say, dude, what just happened? And you're going to say, John, that's the power of your body. Like we got your heart rate up. We, we, we unlock those opioids, internal endogenous opioids. And that's the kind of analgesic that you can regularly expect. And that's where the person's like, oh, I had no idea. I had no idea exercise could be pain relieving. I thought exercise had to be pain causing. And it's like, dude, you got it all wrong, but you got to show them. That's wow. Awesome. It's so true. And it's like, there's so much power. And one of the things that we're taught as physical therapists at the education level is patient education, right? Like it's all about explaining things and teaching your patients this and explaining these mechanisms. But one thing that I've learned in my very short journey thus far in clinical practice is that the magic is really in showing them with the activity, you know, like we can stand up all day and explain what's going on internally, but patients might not care. They might not understand if you simply build enough trust to say, Hey, this is what we're going to do. And they do it. And then they get to experience that light bulb moment. Like I totally feel that. And, um, definitely like one of the things I think could be a barrier, not just the equipment, but if somebody is particularly like intimidated by, let's say using a certain piece of equipment or say this doesn't belong in physical therapy, or maybe it doesn't match their picture of what physical therapy looks like. Are you just taking more of like a patient approach with that in the sense of like, are you maybe going to reintroduce that down the road? Like how much will you kind of shift your plan of care towards what the patient's expectations are versus what you really want to do in this fitness stuff? Does that make sense? Yeah, of course. I mean, there's so many variables right there, right? Any, any individual N equals one, that motivational interviewing skill set that you have to begin to help them see things differently. That's everything, you know? And so being able to, to take them for, and you got to meet them where they are, right? We always, one of the big reasons, Julie, we always tell people, you got to ask the patient at the end of that subjective interview, every single time, what do you think is going to help? Right. What are you hoping that we do? Because you got to figure out, you might not like what you hear, but if we're talking about shared decision-making that we're going to walk with these people, right. And move them towards more of a, of a lifestyle mentality that embraces all this stuff, that walk needs to begin wherever they currently are. 
So identifying that and just saying, what are your beliefs and what do you think is going to help? And what are you hoping that we do in these questions enable you to go meet them? And then from there, begin the journey. And like you said, depending upon where that is in the path, you might only do a very, very small amount of exercise early on, right? And just show them like when they come back, Hey, Diane, how were you last time? Were you sore? And she was like, no, I was actually all right. I wasn't as sore as I thought I was going to be. Here we go. Right now. Now every, that's where we started. We gave you a little bump, right? You're not worse. And you, you know, the benefits overall of exercise. And then Julie, it's every visit, just building on that, right? Being as patient as you need to be moving fast as forward as you're able to like knowing where that line is. Yeah. Super great advice. And definitely something that I can kind of picture in my head of certain patients that, you know, you have that scenario with, but uh, Jeff, another thing I want to kind of dive into with you, when I think about the mission that you have personally, and also just the mission of ice and onward and all of these things you're a part of um, it's really to like change the healthcare landscape at large. It's to change what we think of as physical therapy at large. And I really applaud what you and the others are doing with onward physical therapy and the services you're providing. And one thing I wanted to just kind of ask you, um, you guys are a out of network cash-based clinic. I love if you can just kind of dive into why onward decided to go to the cash-based route and how you believe this improves quality of care for your patients. Sure. Well, I mean, just fundamentally, it never made sense to me that somebody else set our prices like that. That just is utterly bizarre, right? Like we, we know the cost of development, you know, to bring this product to the market as far as what school costs, um, what you had to go through to get it there. We know what other similar services cost. We know what the short and long-term values are. Like we are by far in the best position to decide what price point is a good fit for provider and consumer. Like that just, it never made sense that somebody else was setting our prices in just full transparency, Julie. I don't believe that insurance companies have incentives that are aligned with the long-term success financial um, or the overall health success of the provider or the consumer. I, I've been around, I, I want to believe it, Julie, I, I, but I've been around long enough to make that conclusion. And the reality is we are not going to compromise the integrity of what we do to meet the demands of insurance companies. That's a burnout recipe for everybody besides the insurance executives. We just aren't going to do that. Insurance companies don't get to burn our people out. That's all there is to it. So th those factors. Yeah, that's great. It makes a lot of sense. And it's true. It's like, it's definitely a, um, there's more pressure on the patient, on the physical therapist, on the clinic owner, on everybody when you're playing that insurance game and need to follow these certain rules. And I think one of the biggest things that I've seen as a barrier um, is when you talk about wanting to work on fitness with your patients, right? Like I've had so many patients in front of me who may be coming in with a script for right shoulder pain, but then we have some conversation and we get to know each other and we find out that, oh, they want to get back to their boot camp class that they used to do. So I'm like, okay, great. Let's also throw in some lower body exercises, just like in the midst of everything, you know, while we're resting our shoulder, let's do some lunges, like, let's figure this out. And then in the corner, my supervisor is looking at me like, why are you doing that with the shoulder? Or it's even gone as far where I've gotten questioned about why am I looking at the thoracic spine with a shoulder patient? And that's like PT 101, in my opinion, but I digress. But what it comes down to is like, I've done treatments with a patient where my CI has straight up told me, okay, just don't put that in the note because we probably won't get it billed for it because they are seeing us for this. And that's like, 
that's the number one thing for me is like, wow, if we can't even, if we're literally being told how to treat our patients by insurance companies, like that's kind of where I also would quote unquote, draw the line, even though I don't quite have the authority to draw a line yet. Um, (laughs) But I definitely understand like why that's where you guys are coming from, you know? Yeah. I mean, anybody, Julie, who tells me that I can't build fitness in a human that I'm working with, or there isn't merit in building fitness in that human is not an ethical or viable partner for me. That's all there is to it. Yeah. 100%. Now, one of the arguments that people will make um, against, I'll say like cash-based clinics, and we've actually had this debate in my physical therapy program is about accessibility, right? You know, we know that there's a cost associated with it. And there are some people who have insurances that tend to cover a lot of the costs. Um, but I'd love to just ask you, like how with onward physical therapy, how are you guys making onward as accessible as possible or trying to make it in a way where patients aren't spending a ton of money in the long run? Like what's your strategy? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, so the, the big thing to us is price transparency and price consistency, right? We charge every, in, in insur- normally folks who partner with a wide variety of insurance companies can't say this, right? We charge everybody the exact same amount of money, right? We get the exact same amount of money from every patient that comes to the door. It is very transparent on all of our websites and we believe it is a very fair price, right? We spend a lot of time thinking about, you know, for both sides, again, we're in a good spot. We know the value of the product. We know what it costs to develop it. We know what similar services cost. And we try to put that price point in a very fair space. Right. So all of our the vast majority of onwards around the country are 150 bucks an hour. We don't find that to be price gouging. We don't find and, and there's a tremendous amount of value in that time. And then we try to be extremely efficient right with that person's time and, and financial investment. So our average visit like per client is somewhere between five and six sessions per, per, per intensive episode, which I think if you extrapolate that out and compare that to most um, companies nationwide, you would find that to be a bit on the low end. Because we are able to dump a massive amount into those sessions because they're all one-on-one, they're all uninterrupted, and we decide exactly what we're going to do, and that is deliver the most value. So by condensing value, by setting prices fair, by being transparent and consistent, that's about as accessible as you can make any product. And we know it's accessible, Julie, as far as different people being able to utilize it because we have the data on who uses our services. And it's everywhere from people who are making what you might consider a lower point on the socioeconomic spectrum on in folks all the way on the other side in a massive blend all the way in between those two. It comes down to who's deciding they want to put their resources towards health and wellness. And that's not my decision. It's their decision. Yeah, I love that. It's so true. Like put it, give the consumers the option to prioritize their health and fitness. And what you said is exactly true. I mean, I've seen from in the insurance-based model, and it's it's not to say that every insurance-based PT company does this, but one of the ones that I've experienced with, it's just a given that every patient is going to be coming for like at least eight weeks. Like it's like, oh, you're starting physical therapy, you know, it's going to take eight weeks and then we'll reevaluate. And I've seen, especially some Medicare patients there for just like months and months and months. And it's, I mean, granted some people kind of like the routine and they're like, yeah, I go to physical therapy on Tuesdays and Thursdays. And, but there's no real push to like, get these people back to what they want to do or out the door or, and, you know, even people who have a copay, like just doing that quick math. I mean, I know people in my family who have a $50 copay. So if you're going to pay 50 bucks using your insurance and you're going to go for eight weeks, like, that's going to end up being more expensive. So um, such a good point. And Julie, the variable we're not talking about there 
is people value their time more than anything. So it's not just the 50 bucks compared to the 150 bucks. If they came 10 more times, that's 10 hours. And we're not even talking about the drive. So that's probably 15 hours. Well, if they get paid 20 bucks an hour at work or 50 bucks or 75 bucks, you got to multiply that number by the time investment. So again, it's about setting up a model that is efficient in a way that per unit time, you would argue you're delivering more than anybody. And I feel very confident saying that I believe we put ourselves in that position. Yeah, I love that. And like we talked about already, just being able to address pretty much any musculoskeletal fitness related need that a patient might have, like you guys do it all, talk about it all. And I imagine, you know, when you have a patient who you're working with, who uh, there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of things that we can address as physical therapists, but there's also maybe some things that are without our, or uh, outside of our scope of practice that maybe you want to refer to. And I would love to kind of talk a little bit about like taking this fitness forward idea on a bigger scale, you know, as physical therapists, I'm totally on board with like, we are the ones who should be leading this front, but have you with the companies you work for, or just on a personal level, like, have you kind of worked to collaborate with some other healthcare providers in this same fitness forward space to kind of get them on board with this mission as well? Yeah, it's a great question. I I think it's really important to acknowledge, like, you know, we did not invent this, right? Like, it's not like this idea of confronting sickness with fitness is an ice thing, right? I mean, CrossFit's been doing that for what, 25 years, right? I mean, this idea of, of taking, confronting sickness with fitness and bringing people towards wellness, right? And, and moving them further and further away from sickness is not our idea. It's just that we realize that doing that, trying to confront sickness with fitness that road runs through musculoskeletal injury. So that's where we come in, right? Like we acknowledge the fact that people are going to get banged up a little bit and that's fine. Sore shoulders, sore knees, sore backs. You're going to bump into that as you're moving yourself away from sickness towards fitness. And that's where we come in. But this idea has been out there. Folks have wanted to do this for many, many years. And so other providers are already very hip to it. I mean, the ship is turning. So we've got, you know, on a, on a local level, I can guarantee you if you're in a decent sized city, there are direct to or, or direct primary care physicians in your area who are already doing this at some level, who it, it, it's probably looked at as being concierge or boutique, but they are doing cash-based services that have a lot of fitness focus, that have a lot of health and wellness focus. So you could partner with those people. Now on the national level, you've got groups like Wild Health, which has been an unbelievable blessing because they're all telehealth. So we connect a lot of our patients at Onward with wild health physicians because they're doing precision medicine. I mean, they're looking at leveraging fitness, looking at leveraging all the um, mindfulness components of health and looking at sleep and lifestyle behaviors and using those things as first line interventions before we turn to pharmacy, right? They're doing it the way we believe in, right? Before we over image, before we over prescribe, let's see what your body can do first because it's unbelievable if we can unleash that how powerful that can be. Let's go there first and we'll get more invasive if we have to. So like wild health, having that philosophy allows us to be on the same page with our patients. And now we have physicians that we're running right alongside and we're doing that nationwide right now every day. That's so cool. It's it's so awesome. And I've been able to follow a little bit of, um, you know, some of the work from wild health and of course, seeing how you over at ICE are kind of um, collaborating with mayhem programming as well from a CrossFit standpoint, and just like how many different 
areas, how many different corners can we pull from to really make this fitness thing as potent as possible? And I definitely think that this is such an exciting time for fitness forward healthcare, because you know better than me, right? Like like I'm just getting into this thing and I entered the physical therapy space in the middle of the pandemic, but now more than ever, people are like, holy shit. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm in my mid forties. Like maybe I should like prioritize my health. So I'm not like totally screwed when I'm 70 years old. Like, have you seen that that switch has kind of started to flip in a lot of the clientele that we work with? Julie, that, that, that switch is flipping daily everywhere. And what's awesome, Julie, and you alluded to it was how accessible this kind of fitness forward healthcare can be. Like you mentioned accessible on our last question, Julie, think about this. So our restore perform package at Onward is about 135 bucks a month. There's different tiers depending upon like booster sessions. If you want some body work, there's a lot we offer, but on a baseline package, it's 135 bucks a month, meaning every month you can come in for an hour long session and work on whatever you want, right? Again, we're not told what to work on by anybody. So when you come in, it's your hour. Like we can work on your Olympic lifting. We can work on some soft tissue stuff. If you're feeling banged up, we can change your pro. We can do whatever you want for an hour, right? Wild Health, their baseline package is about 105 bucks a month, meaning you get a physician visit every year. You get a health coaching call every quarter, right? You can get labs built into that. So you can be working with a fitness for physician for about 110 bucks a month. Mayhem is 30 bucks a month, right? And you get awesome programming every day, 30 minutes, 60 minutes, strength building, mobility, you name it on your app, on SugarWad, you get all the programming you're ever going to want. Julie, if you put all those things together, it's 240 bucks a month, right? 240, 250. That is such a reasonable monthly number to have fitness forward physical therapy, fitness forward primary care, daily programming. That is because of the way that systems and groups have allowed things to kind of come into line. But that is such a reasonable investment, which is like you said, allowed so many people who said, you know what? I'm done looking at it the old way. I wonder what I can do if I get the right people around me and I have the right resources and I really commit. I wonder how healthy I can get on this next half of my life. If people who are willing to do it to make the investment, the resources are so efficiently organized now. And I think that's why you're seeing such a massive shift in that direction. Yeah. So amazing. And I love that you're able to kind of put those three things together and paint that picture for, you know, the listeners, but for anybody. And it's true. It's like we we throw money or resources or time at all these other things in our life. And a lot of us, like, especially I feel like like my parents' generation, like that middle-aged, you know, 50s or so generation is currently taking care of like their parents and the current generation of like older adults, right? I mean, a lot of them are clearly very resilient and healthy and whatnot, but like I think that there's definitely that that parallel right now of like a lot of people are seeing what it looks like to get quote unquote, like older and frailer and sicker. And the fact that you guys are leading this front of the old, it does not mean weak and old does not mean sick. And like you mentioned with exercise, I mean, you and I, like, I guess you'd say we're a bit biased. Like we enjoy fitness, we enjoy exercise, but it really doesn't take much to shift somebody on that continuum that I, I had a Dustin Jones on the podcast months ago. We had an awesome conversation and we talked a lot about that sickness to wellness, to fitness continuum and how it doesn't take much to get from that sickness to wellness. And like a lot of people 
might just want to live in wellness. Like, isn't that what we're after? And um, so it's true. I mean, I just love to hear all of these honestly solutions to these big problems, like you mentioned, um, that you're working alongside other people to really bring to the front. And I think the cool thing is, Julie, these are not things we're dreaming of. These are things that we have hundreds of people doing in the onward system all day, every day, right now. Like people are signed up with Restore and Perform and Wild Health, they get mayhem programming. Like our nation is aligning themselves with those resources and becoming very different, more resilient humans now. Like this is not a future dream. You are living in the time that it's happening. And I think for every provider coming out, get excited about that because we aren't talking about doing it. It's being done every day, every patient right now. So cool. And it's true. It's like for some people, they might be thinking this is some like far out way of thinking and like, but it's, there are, there's so many people doing it and getting on board and definitely like it's, it's difficult, I think, to kind of push our old ways to the side sometimes and like come to that realization of like, okay, the old way of doing things isn't the best way anymore. Like it's okay to do that, to change your mind. I mean, I've heard you talk about from a personal standpoint, one of my favorite uh, podcast that you did, which I listened to a lot of them on Leadership Thursday, um, but was I didn't build this this company or I didn't start this company. And you just talking about how your approach to physical therapy and rehabilitation and like this has all been a work in progress for you that the beliefs that you had around what made a great PT has changed a little bit. And um, I would love if you can just kind of dive into that ideal of like, it's okay to change your mind and kind of change with the times and grow with the people around you. And I mean, are there things that you believe to be true now that years ago you might've never even given thought to? Yeah. And it's funny. Not only do I think that it's okay to grow and change at times, but I would go further and say, get excited about every opportunity to have your world rocked, right? To be able to look and say, oh my gosh, hold on a second. That's a lot better. Like that, that makes a lot more sense. Like get stoked about about disregarding your old beliefs and moving forward and evolving because that's where the that's where the excitement really is and that's what makes you think again we talk about burnout all the time but like knowing that you're going to be dipped so different and by different i mean better 15 years from now because you're willing to say oh hold on that's better hold on that's better and like now you're compiling all this genius from all these different people if you're willing to adopt that kind of a learner mindset, where you're going to be, you're going to transform so much over time. That's what keeps you invigorated and excited as well as of course, delivers a better product. So I think not only being willing to change, being eager to change, those are two really different ways of looking at it. And I would, I would encourage the latter as far as what do, what has changed, Julie, what hasn't changed? Like when I, when I look at where I was in what, 2007, you know, coming up on 15 years ago of like what I thought mattered in, 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 in what, when a patient was working with me, the sequela, as far as, you know, what really impacted their life. Like I had no idea what fitness was capable of no idea to be fair, Julie in myself or in my patients. And that was part of the problem, right? It was like, I had not yet unlocked what I was physically capable of. Thus, how could I possibly understand what it could do for somebody else? So a really big part of it was around like 2013 surround, beginning to surround myself with people who had gained a deeper appreciation for what fitness is capable of on your system, on your performance, on your longevity, and then getting 
more personally interested. And then as you personally see the benefits, that's when you begin to really espouse that to others. And that was a really big part of my journey. Yeah. Awesome. So cool to hear. And it it's, I like that you frame that instead of framing it in a way that makes it like nerve wracking and like kind of scary to go on and change your mind. It is, it's really exciting. And I mean, I think about for me, like there's so many things that I love to learn about and talk about and, and uh, connect with people over now. And it's true. It's like, wow, it's exciting to think about like, where the heck am I going to be in 10 years of after practicing as a physical therapist? So, um, and Jeff, everything you just said reminds me of one of the quotes I'll say from you is be about it. It's on your t-shirt right now. Like, and ever since I saw that, that that's something that you guys preach. I mean, I love it. It's something that I'm all about um, in every aspect of life being about it. I would love if you can just kind of talk about like, when it comes to this fitness forward idea, it might be hard to convince some people, or it might take a little bit of work to get people on board with it. So why is it so crucial for those of us healthcare professional fitness forward professionals to be about it? Julie, it's pretty simple, right? That if you're going to, if you're going to bring people and by people, I mean, your patients, your community, if you're going to bring people towards fitness, right? If we're going to move them towards a healthier way of living, you have to lead them. It's simple as that. The only spot to effectively lead ever has been from the front. There's no other spot to lead, right? Nobody walks away from a lecture from a physician about smoking who reeked like smoke and feels super stoked to make a huge change. Nobody does that, right? And nobody gets preached to educationally and gets emotionally moved, right? That, that is a really, really hard reality. And for those of you who are younger PTs, I'm going to encourage you to embrace this sooner versus later just to save yourself some strife. You're never going to educate people towards passion. I wish it worked like that, Julie. I love reading journal articles and telling other people what I found. I am very comfortable doing that. It doesn't get it done. Data does not change behavior. Tim Flynn's, the first time I ever heard him say that was 2010. And he was standing on stage at Manipaloos and he said, data doesn't change behavior. And I was like, damn it. (laughs) Number one, that's such bad news. But number two, I know he's right. Right. You, nobody ever, Julie has been reading the newspaper in the morning and learned the ACSM or whatever, changed their physical activity guidelines and just got lit up, like jumped off that breakfast table and went charging outside for a run. Nobody has ever done that. Data doesn't change behavior. People follow people. People follow people. We are emotional beings. We are pack animals. We follow other humans. If that is true, then we have to lead them. And the only way to lead is with our behaviors. you got to lead from the front. So the reason be about it is so important is because there's no other viable way to lead. But there's another side to it, Julie. Like that's that's the really fun side. And we totally believe that. And we think it's why our patients get caught up in our messaging. But there's a more practical side to this. If you're about it, like really about it, like you're going to you're going to find a way to get to the gym no matter what. When you're injured, you're going to find a way to train no matter what. That requires problem solving, right? That requires like, okay, my cap is pulled. I can't do double unders. How can I still get that cardiorespiratory stimulus? Like I'm going to the gym in a half hour. I'm not, I'm going to hold the line, but what's it going to look like? That begins to force you to work around your own injuries and meet your own goals. And that is when a patient walks in with a similar problem, 
You can say, oh, I've been there. <laughs> like I've tweaked my back. I've hurt my shoulder. I had my calf banged up. Here's what I did to make sure I didn't slip, to make sure I maintained my fitness. By being about it every day, you get this huge library of solutions to your own problems, which now become solutions to your patient's problems. But if you've never programmed for yourself, if you've never chased PRs, if you've never trained while injured, if you've never done any of that stuff, you have no clue how to adapt and modify when someone comes with something tricky. So there's a real practical side to being about it beyond the emotional leadership side. Wow. Love that. I just have like the biggest smile on my face hearing you talk about all this because it really excites me. It's it's challenging me like mentally thinking about this, but it's very exciting. And one of the things that I love that you mentioned kind of from that like emotional passion side is just like understanding that that's not something that we should shy away from, you know, coming from school, like this isn't something that necessarily was directly taught in school, but kind of indirectly, like professionalism is very important. It's a real thing, but I feel like a lot of us have kind of taken on this almost like separate personality where when we're treating patients, we need to be very like white coat and doctor like and educate, but it's like, are you really going to be able to connect with people like that? And I've since like, it's honestly, I attribute it to my, my clinical rotations where I was just, I was trying so hard to be a certain way and talk a certain way. And then as I got comfortable, I started to be more myself and naturally, I mean, you can tell like I'm a very outgoing, loud, excited person. And it's something that I have honestly had to kind of shy away at certain times in my life, or at least I felt that I had to. So for me to let that come out in the clinic, there's been certain patients I work with where I just get so fired up. And then immediately I'm like, oh my God, okay, like calm down. But what I've realized is that that really stands out. And I've I've made relationships with patients that I met as a student PT who I've stayed in touch with, who now reach out to me and say, one of them's an orange theory goer. And she's like, Hey, Julie, I've been going to OTF. My back's been bothering me a little bit. Like, do you have any tips about this? And of course I'm not giving any like very specific advice, but just being able to kind of talk them through like, Oh yeah, maybe go see the PT or just whatever it is. I guess my point here is like, it's okay to let that come out. And I think a lot of us are afraid to get emotional and get passionate and be too much. Cause I know that I'm afraid of that. Um, but damn, like it really does draw people in. And when I listen to people like you, like your passion draws me in. And so that means something like we can all be that for our patients. And again, Julie, I want to be picky on language. It's not just okay. It should be, <laughs> right? It's the thing. Julie, you know, just talking to you for this short time and you and I have chatted a few other times offline, like the energy you bring, you know how many of your patients are going to say to you at some point, where do you get all this energy? Why are you never tired? And you want to talk about a perfect moment to say, well, if you honestly want me to answer that question, it's from the way I live. I eat a lot of clean food. I mind my lifestyle behaviors. I do all the things I'm preaching to you. That's why I'm never tired. That's why every day I can show up like this because of the way I live. You think more than anything you say that patient's not going to say, well, I want some of that. I, I, whatever, whatever you're on, right. I want to be on that. Well, that, Denise, I'm on fitness. Like that's what I'm on. Like, and you're more than welcome to be on it. Like share that with people because that's what gets them saying, I want some of that. Good. Pick up that kettlebell, right? Let's go. I will show you how to get some of this. Leading from the front is energetic. 
Don't you dare put a cover over that ever. I will definitely take that to heart. I appreciate that. And it's true. And it's something that like, I, like I said, it's been a work in progress for me. I'm finally to the point now where I'm on the right side of it from connecting with the right people, from seeing people like yourself and like Lindsay Huey is a good friend of mine now. And just other people that, that have kind of become part of my community. Um, I'm unapologetic about it. And I think that obviously physical therapists and people at large, we range in personality types. Like not everybody is loud and fired up and that's okay. But to your point that you've spoken about previously, like all of us are passionate about something. Like there's something that excites you. There's something that fires you up and just being able to kind of bring that out and show that with the people that we work with. um, Yeah. I think can just make such a big difference. Absolutely. Yeah. Let it rip. That, 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 that's my, that's my request. The world needs more fire. Let it rip. I love that. And Jeff, one thing that you kind of alluded to that I want to just touch on a little bit before we start to wrap up here, um, we would be at a loss if we talked about fitness forward healthcare and physical therapy without diving into some of these lifestyle factors, some of these more kind of holistic considerations. And, um, I would love if we can dive into, I mean, one thing that I know South College has kind of put out a lot about um, is this catchy phrase of take your meds, which I love. And I would love if we can just kind of discuss those four components, what makes up the take your meds um, and just why physical therapists should be addressing these things. Oh, you bet. Yeah, that, that that's a big, it's a big topic. Um, but, you know, funny story, Julie. We came up with that in the courtyard of the Homewood Suites. We were all sitting around one night. We were barbecuing back there. And um, Tim Flynn, Lindsay Huey, Justin Dunaway, there were a bunch of us sitting there. And we were talking about, you know, we want to we want to bring lifestyle behaviors to South. Our goal with students who come into South College, you know how stressful PT school is and how intense. We want them to leave in better holistic health than when they arrived. And that's a big goal because they have to do a lot during the program. There's a lot of stress. How can we share what we know about lifestyle behavior practices so that our students leave us better than when they showed up? We are not going to burn these kids out, right? Yes, we're going to be hard on them, but what are the critical things that we could guide them on? And then, of course, the conversation got bigger. And if they got good at it, they'd be more willing to share it with their patients and yada, 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 following a lot of the themes we talked about already this hour. And so we were sitting there and I don't know who said, you know, well, really it comes down to, to mindfulness and exercise and diet and sleep. And there was like a pause in the group. We were like, meds, meds, right? That spells meds. We should say, take your meds, right? Because that's what uh, it's catching. And it follows this theme of like, why don't we stop popping external opioid medication and unlock our endogenous opioids? Right. Why don't we use the medicine cabinet inside of our own bodies? Like, why don't we take our own meds as opposed to somebody else's? So it just fits the narrative so well. But those are the four big components. And whether we're teaching the students at South College, whether we're counseling patients, whether we're self-reflecting on our own behavior, we really think about it in those four buckets. You know, mindfulness, exercise, diet and sleep. And so, you know, what does that look like? On a given day, it goes back to your conversation of where are you encountering the person along the path? If they're if they're at the very, very beginning of their journey of, I want to become a healthier human, I know I'm not in a good spot, but I want to be, it starts with a simple conversation of, 
do anything from the mindfulness perspective. Have a simple moment of stillness. Oftentimes, Julie, and you're the person, perfect person to talk this about, it's a gratitude journal, right? It's a moment where you pause and reflect, you let things quiet down, and you're intentional. For exercise, it's trying to meet the basic guidelines, right? It's the 150 minutes per week, right? Not all at once, but working towards there. For diet, it's getting rid of the absolute nonsense. What's the nonsense? The nonsense is sugar and processed food, right? Let's just get rid of that stuff and your entire life is going to change. Sleep, how much? The answer is seven hours. Do we want more? Yeah. Are we happy with seven? No doubt. Do we try to encourage a cheap wearable to track it? Of course we do, right? So it's those four things. If you can make a little bit of an adjustment in the humans that are coming alongside in those things, they are going to live a different life. And yes, by different, I mean better. That's amazing. And yeah, it's it's really cool too, because all four of those things are definitely somewhat of a low hanging fruit, especially to somebody hmm. who is in the beginning, in the early stages of that fitness continuum five minutes of stillness of breathing or gratitude can go a long way. Like taking daily walks to get up to that 150 minutes a week can go a really long way. So I love that you mentioned that. And the other cool thing is like for anybody listening, who's like, how does this relate to physical therapy? You guys at ICE do such a good job showing there's tremendous, really potent, really good research on how all of these things can influence pain experience and disability. So It's super cool. It's something that, um, you know, I look forward to building into my clinical practice and taking, you know, some notes from you guys of how to really like do that um, in an efficient way. But it also goes back to that be about it, right? Like as a physical therapist, as a healthcare provider, as a coach, doing things that prioritize those four facets will make you a better clinician and help you lead better. And it really just all ties together, this whole fitness thing, doesn't it? Doesn't it? Yeah, I, I remember one time Justin Dunaway, who you know has been one of my best friends for so many years, and he teaches our chronic pain curriculum. And at South College, in, in a stroke of genius, one time he said, "You know, we don't treat pain, right? We, we we try to create an environment that is hostile to the pain experience. That's what we do. And if someone's focusing on their meds, that's exactly what it does. It creates an ecosystem or an environment that is hostile or unfavorable to the pain experience by calming down their nervous system, by decreasing inflammation, by improving restful sleep, by increasing tissue resilience, you're creating an ecosystem or an environment in that human that is hostile to the pain experience. And that's what really helps folks get on the other side of things And those meds really help move folks in that direction. 100%. And I hope anybody listening to this is as excited about these things and how they all connect as you and I are. And definitely like for people who are interested, this is something that you just got to dive headfirst into. And um, once you experience the benefits yourself, like you want to just get up on a mountaintop and preach it to the whole world. So, so awesome, Jeff, this conversation has been so much fun. Um, I can't wait to listen back to this one and honestly take some notes on some of the wisdom that you've shared. I would love if we can just kind of wrap things up here with uh, one final question that all of my guests receive here on the podcast. On the Goal Set Mindset podcast, we're centered around pursuing high achievement with passion, perseverance, and performance. I would love if you could share what a personal goal that you have is right now um, and how you're working towards it. 
do you want a physical, are we talking performance goal or do you want a professional goal? So it can be whatever you want. I know that you are a man of many trades and I have been seeing you've been into some pretty uh, interesting stuff lately. So literally anything that you're working on right now that you want to share, go for it. That's okay. That's a great question. So, um, so from a, from a, I, I don't want to go on and on. I know that we're right at the end of your show. Your listeners are probably fatigued, but I do think that everybody should quantify their fitness goals, like what's meaningful to them and they should reverse engineer it. And so I spend a lot of time thinking about like, what are the things that I'd love to do? Like Julie, one thing I love to do is ride my motorcycle. So I have an adventure bike. It's, it's a tiger triumph. I, I love getting out on my bike, like in the back country and up, up, I live in Colorado. So it's easy for me to get up in the mountains. And I think about, I want to be able to do this forever right? Forever. Like I want to, at least when I'm 70, my goal is 70 years old. So if that's true, if that's my goal, I got to reverse engineer. And I would encourage all of your listeners to do the same thing. So think about what do you love to do? Like love to do that you hope never goes away. What are the physical capacities that it requires and how can you reverse engineer your fitness goals? Here's what I mean by that, Julie. So here, my, my bike weighs about 450 pounds, my, my, my motorcycle. So if I'm going to be up on the trails by myself when I'm 70 years old, there's a chance I'm going to lay that thing down, right? So there's a good chance. Well, picking it up is a 400 pound deadlift, right? That's twice my body weight. I weigh 200 pounds. So a 400 pound deadlift. There's a lot of times that I'm navigating that bike, like on a trail, like over a river where it's above me, where I'm having to hold it, but it's at about a 45 degree angle. That's half that weight. That's 200 pounds. I've got to be able to negotiate 200 pounds over my head. If I'm going to be able to ride that bike in the wilderness when I'm 70, I've got to be able to negotiate 200 pounds overhead, right? So when you start thinking about what I need to do physically, additionally, I go up um, Poudre Canyon all the time right here to Cameron Pass, which is a gorgeous mountain pass about 45 minutes from me. But Julie, when I'm up there, I'm about 20, 25 minutes away from civilization on either side of me. Walden on one side in some cities down here by Fort Collins on the other. Something could go wrong. And I need to be able to comfortably ambulate 25 miles, right? So I need to be able, when I'm 70 years old, to run a marathon. Okay, 25 miles, because if something happens up there, I've got to be able to get to civilization. I've got to be able to deadlift because the bike weighs 400 pounds, 400 pounds, twice my body weight. I've got to be able to squat at least 1.5 times that. And I've got to be able to push press overhead to manage the bike, 200 pounds. So that what I call the half step. If, if I'm going to be resilient at 70, I've got to be able to push press my body weight. I've got to be able to squat 1.5 times my body weight, deadlift two times my body weight, and comfortably run a marathon. If I can do that, I can keep riding that bike. So a big goal of mine is never falling off those metrics. I can do them now, but I don't want to weaken from that point. So every year I run a marathon, and every January 1st, I do those three things. And so a big part of my goal setting our fitness journey is not letting those skills fall away and lose that function. So physically, if that helps, that's performance wise. I think about that all the time. Wow. That was the best answer I've ever gotten to that question. And I have to say, Jeff, it really just shows the way that your brain works, because I would bet that less than 0.5% of people in this world would even think to reverse engineer something like that. So, but Julie, think that's, I I know we're wrapping up, but think, 
think if you got your patients thinking like that, like, hey, what do you love to do? What does that actually physically require? And now setting goals around holding that line. Think about the emotional content in depth of that. They're going to say, okay, if I can't do this, then I won't be able to do that. Like, I don't want to stop being able to do this. That's the kind of stuff that gets contagious. And just a thought for your providers, you know, can you infect your patients with that same idea? Yeah, it's awesome. And especially having that conversation. I mean, I think a lot of us are walking around, not even really paying attention to what it is that we love to do. Like if you ask a random person on the street, like what is something that you want to make sure you can do for the rest of your life? They'll probably have to like, think about it a little bit. So if you can be the one to bring that up and make them say, damn, you're right. Because a lot of us don't know that until it's taken away. You know, I, I think of, um, my dad, he's experienced a host of health problems over the last couple of years and luckily is in a much better place now. And he goes for a walk at the sunrise on the beach every single morning that he's home, not on the road for work. And to some people, it looks crazy. He's up at 4am. He's in the, on the beach in New Hampshire in January, where it's like two degrees, but he loves that stuff. And at one point in his life, he wasn't doing that. And now he says to me, I never want to be able, or I never want this taken away from me. I need to make sure I can always do this. So I've seen that firsthand and uh, I'm glad you shared that. I mean, it's definitely what a great conversation that we can have with patients. I mean, Julie, we, we live in a society where, we, where we've accepted or normalized things being taken away from us, right? We just stop them and figure, oh yeah, that's because I'm getting older, right? Or, or, or whatever, this happened, so now I don't get to do this. We can play offense against functional decline. We can say, no, I'm going to reverse engineer it. I'm not going to weaken. I refuse to weaken. And we can set those metrics objectively. And I'm just saying, we can play offense. 100%. I feel like I need to go outside and run a marathon right now with all this energy that I'm getting through the screen. Um, Jeff, you are an amazing human, an amazing leader. Thank you so much for being here on the show. I would love if you can just share uh, where listeners could follow you, reach out to you and uh, learn from you guys over at ICE. Yeah, totally. Thanks so much for having me, Julie. Um, there, there's a million ways. Um, my, my email is jeffmoredpt at gmail.com. Always a great spot to start. My cell phone is 303-359-3597. Never be afraid to use it. You can hit me up on Instagram. It's jeffmoredpt there. Ice Physio on IG. We all track that account. If you want to dial into Ice Courses, it's ptonice.com. That's where our whole fitness forward ecosystem lives. If as a provider, you want to start living this way and treating this way, that's where you want to be. Awesome. Jeff, thank you so much. I really, really appreciate your time. This was super fun and I look forward to to, uh, connecting with you down the road. Pleasure was all mine, Julie. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for tuning into this week's episode of the Goal Set Mindset Podcast. I hope Jeff's enthusiasm and insight left you feeling excited to put yourself and your health first and help others to do the same. If you're enjoying the show, I would love if you subscribed on your favorite platform so you never miss an episode. Thank you so much for tuning in. And as always, we will be back next week with another episode.